Welcome back to Adelaide. Hi everybody and welcome to Conversations Over Coffee. Today we have none other than Deidre. <laughs> but we've also got no, Sammy. Deidre. that's right. I've done it again, haven't I? <laughs> I did that yeah. once before and I got into trouble because yeah, you're not a Deirdre, are you? No, no, that's not, that's my formal name, not my preferred name. Your pref- oh, right. My preferred name is D. D. Yeah. yeah. Can I get to introducing Sam now? Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> so, so we've got so we've got Sam with us today because she's down from Sydney, which is we're Do blessed. Do you have a preferred name, Sam? Sammy. Uh, Sam is a, is my pseudonym it's if we want to get technical, <laughs> but it is also my family nickname. Yeah. All right. Uh, but to keep my creative life and pre- professional life separate, I do go by Sammer. All right. So is this like a professional engagement we're having today with this well, podcast? Or? You guys are family too. Oh, so. it's a family thing. This is true. So <laughs> it's both. It's both. <laughs> so we're really blessed. We're sitting outside on a much cooler day today. And uh, we've just had the family down. Some other members Some of the other family, haven't of we? Family so family down, yes, with very small children, which has been lovely. Yeah, yeah, that's been, been great. grandparenting, which has been an absolute tiresome activity. Hasten <laughs> to add, delightful. Yeah, yeah, no, it has. So, what's on the, what's on the agenda today? We we're talking earlier about Meghan Markle and Harry Windsor. <laughs> yeah, is that <laughs> Harry Windsor? I was. Is this, are they Windsors? They are Windsors, aren't they? Do you know Sam? Um, I always what? thought it was like. Something to do with Castle, but maybe that's just because they live in one. Harry Castle. <laughs> Sorry, you did tell me it might be Windsor Mountbatten. Mountbatten, yeah. Oh, uh, it might be Mountbatten. Phillips surname. Look, we have thousands of people listening to our podcast. I'm sure someone will at some point Somebody email us. Somebody tell us. Somebody tell us what the name is. Do we care? <laughs> do we? No, not really. Well, I, I personally don't. So well, have you, have you been involved in... In listening to the Oprah interview and no, nah, uh, don't care. <laughs> no, not really. But I've I I want to listen to it because uh, I've seen some interesting headlines from it. Because you either get headlines that are really supportive of the exit, or people who think Meghan stole Harry away from. The UK. Well, Harry's not capable of making up his own mind. <laughs> no, exactly. Or yeah. has, as Megan calls him, we learned. What, what is it? She calls him has. Has, is it has been. <laughs> has been, politi- has been in terms of the royal family, I guess, That's isn't it? an he? interesting question. What do Australians do around Harry as a... Sh- you know how we always got to convert a name into some sort of... It would be Hazza, wouldn't it? Yeah, Hazza. something like that. Yeah, it would Hazzo? be. Hazzo? Hazzo. <laughs> like Davo, you know. Davo. Limo. What's a limo? Oh, isn't that Harry? Could we call you Dio? No, Dio. just good. Okay. <laughs> Samo? Tono. Tono. <laughs> Tone. You're usually Tone, aren't you? Yes, yeah, so are people really cared? Do people, I don't know. I'm interested because I saw a lot of... Oh, I don't think I was interested prior to the interview. Like, I couldn't care. But then so much stuff has come out since... I've, it sort of piqued my interest. And there's been a number of commentators on television, I noticed, in the US who said, no, nah, they weren't interested. But when they started to watch it for something, there was something about the interview that intrigued them. Mm. And then they became involved. So I don't know whether it was just the fact that there was this, that the Americans want to own Meghan Markle because she's American, African-American American, first, you know. I wonder if it's because there's a bit of an element of racism within it. Uh, I think there was, oh, a, yep. there was something, again, I need to listen to the interview, but I think I saw something that 
maybe she said that there's a difference between being rude and being racist. And I think that piqued a lot of people's interest because the way she was treated, I think a element of racism really did come into it. Um, yeah, well, the, the colour of the family, you mean? Yeah, but the colour of the baby. For Americans to suddenly stand up and say, "Hey, are you royal? A, a racist? <laughs> aren't, isn't, aren't they quite well known for being a fairly racist country? Not that I'm saying Australia isn't, but no. is that a bit hypocritical? Suddenly they're going to stand up and I don't know support one of their own, which is probably a good thing. Yes, um, but have they been acknowledging their own yeah. racism? I, I guess. It depends okay. on, I guess it depends on who you're looking at within the US because there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of movement in the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, but there are a lot of people who, who retort with All Lives Matter, so. Yeah, very yeah. And I think the circumstances under which it came about, which was really about what colour skin will this baby have? Yeah, that's right. You know, and. Uh, it's an interesting question to ask, like, who cares? Yeah. Oh, obviously, somebody cares. Yeah. And now, now the media are busy trying to find out who it was. But, yeah, apparently it wasn't the the queen or the queen's husband. Do you call him king? Yeah, prince. No, prince. Prince. Yeah, I don't think he called yeah. It's a bit yeah. weird because her son's a prince. <laughs> so they're very confusing. I guess he's a senior prince. Can't we call him first husband? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Good point. So, yeah, so there was this controversy over who did it. So that's the next thing the media is going to do is sort of survey and ask all the people that work within Buckingham Palace as to whether they know who said whatever they said so they can be outed and kicked out, I guess. I have a question for both of you. At some point, the Queen came to Adelaide, right? Did she? she came to Adelaide in 1956. Oh, okay. <laughs> Never mind. I don't remember. You wouldn't remember. I, do, I remember it. You do? I do. I do remember Okay, because the street, she went, came down Port, Port, Port Road and our street, which was Pamir Place, which was some distance away, was cluttered with cars. Yeah, I remember that day quite, quite clearly. I don't think I oh. understood who the Queen was. I was probably told. I remember, yeah. I have vague recollections of being very small and being on Main North Road for some sort of royal procession, but it's a vague recollection. I've never bothered to look it up to see whether it's just my imagination or whether something actually did happen. Mm. Um, one of the things that, like, I'm, I've been a long-term Republican, not in the Donald Trump sense, but <laughs> in the <laughs> sense of Australia should be a republic, long-term, so probably since I was around 17. One of the things that I notice is that when they come out to Elizabeth, which is named after Queen oh, That's when she came over, because it was in 1956 that Elizabeth was opened was up. Was open, so oh, she would have been here. came okay. here for that, yeah. And when the royals do come, then they come out to Elizabeth, and suddenly, magically, there's new landscaping, and, oh. you know, the place gets tidied up a little bit, and that bothers me, because I think that's just a pretend thing. They're and they feel like... The, they keep it nice the whole time. They fill up places with bark and yeah, do all those yeah. tidying up. I mean, I guess there's a long-term positive <coughs> effect in that some of that landscaping stays, but you just think, well, why don't you do it before for the locals? Why do it to put on a show And you look at And now you look at the what the stereotype of Elizabeth is now. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the Good Queen's point. due back for another <laughs> visit to, to help help raise Elizabeth's profile a bit. 
Because yeah, Elizabeth gets a lot of flack for being a rough area. but It does get a lot of flack, yes. Yeah, for a low socioeconomic area. And I know people who change their postcodes when they go for jobs if they've lived out here. Really? They pretend that they don't. Oh. Well, where we? <coughs> well, where we? Because the reality is that they will be discriminated against, and that's not the person's fault. That's obviously that stereotype. And so that's why we don't say we live, in, we live in Elizabeth East. We actually don't. We live we in Hillbank. We live in Hillbank. But it used to be Elizabeth East. Oh. Okay. So when they built this estate, they had to change the name because you couldn't have a state like this being called Elizabeth. Right. Could you? Because Elizabeth East is. Is one block away from us. Yeah, I know. I know. It's quite an interesting history because part of the history, because uh, there's an academic who grew up here, um, Mark Peel, who's now back in England, but he reckons that, so he remembers Elizabeth when it was first growing, when there was barely any roads and mm. his parents came out here and he talks about how the, you know, the, the women were very responsible for the community development of the place and the men, of course, were working in the factories. And um, he talks about how the Elizabeth East, the middle class areas, were, were built up to keep the working class under control. <laughs> right. So it was segregated, this, this kind of was segregated. So there was this overseeing effect of the middle class. I came upon a terrific video on YouTube which was uh, put together by Housing SA or the Housing Trust, I guess as it was back then. And it's really interesting having a look at <coughs> the development of Elizabeth, because Elizabeth was a big deal in relation to uh, migrants coming here, particularly UK migrants, I guess. And it was just talking about the opportunities that were available to them. And it's quite interesting also having a look at the language of, you know, like the women were the ones that had to stay in the home and the men were the ones that went out and worked and, you know, the availability of schools and a whole host of other stuff. It's really quite fascinating. Really, some historical stuff. Okay. Yeah, I've got a I've got a sign on my um, a little piece from Mark Peel's book. Uh, I think it's called Tw Turning Points, where some of his history of Elizabeth shows that there were more PhDs coming out of Elizabeth at one point than were coming out of the more privileged schools like St Peter's. Wow. So, which is quite interesting. But that part of that would be that migrant drive that we often see, where migrants come into a country and they're determined to get on and determined for their children to have a better life yeah. than they did. So it could be part of that. But you're right, the stereotype is very different from that now. Yeah. <laughs> very, very different. Yeah. It'd be, <coughs> it'd be interesting to see um, what those comparisons are over time too, the number of people that do graduate with degrees or go on to university from this neck of the woods. Well, as I understand it, we now run programs to encourage people from this area to go to university. In fact, I saw a, an advertisement down at Elizabeth recently to say, you know, go to the University of Adelaide. So, mm. well, and there is a university, and USA is out here anyway. It is, is in the north, yeah. So, um, yep. Okay, what else is there? Oh, Christian Porter. Or or the guy that works for Craig Kelly. I haven't finished with the Royals yet. I have too. But what do you want to say about the Royals? Well, I, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to watch the interview. Um, when I did see the headlines about that kind of racist comment around the colour of the baby's skin, my immediately thought, thought was, why would we expect anything different yeah. coming out of the monarchy because the British Empire was founded 
on racism. And there is an article in the conversation today where somebody's explored that in a lot more detail and talks about how slavery goes back to Elizabeth I and that the monarchy has never apologised for their participation in, in that. Um, you know, and I know that the empire has receded, has receded quite dramatically, but I think that legacy is still, is still there. And we know there were lots of protests in England recently around the... Black Lives Matters movement anyway and the pulling down of some of the, the statues so it kind of doesn't surprise me I suppose yeah. how are, they, are they relevant? The you royals? Yeah um, To us probably not even though we are Commonwealth but I think a lot of people within England still love them I mean you see how crazy they get over when someone's having a baby within the royal family they start selling merchandise and all of that but I, I don't understand, maybe I understand the Commonwealth in that it allows for easier travel, but even that being said, from New Zealand to Australia and vice versa, it's quite easy to travel. But for people from the UK to move over here, they still have to get sponsorship, they have to do all this stuff. And I think, I don't know what it's like moving over there, but I assume, I, th I thought that there was this uh, visa that you have to have uh, if you're under 30, and then if you're over 30, it's harder to get over there. So I don't... Like, why are we a Commonwealth if we can't... Well, and the European Union would have made it easier for people in the UK to travel to Europe, but for yeah. us from Australia to travel there is a little bit more complicated, isn't it, in terms yeah. of visas and all the other stuff you have to get, and working there and all that sort of stuff is a little bit more difficult. So, yeah, I think the Commonwealth is redundant. You know, like, why do we have the Commonwealth Games and stuff like that? Like, who cares? Well, it's interesting that there are other countries that have become, you know, separated from the Commonwealth, you know, so much earlier than Australia, and we still keep on hanging on to it. And I don't think... It's a bit of a shame because, Tony, I remember your dad saying, who was a monarchist, mm. um, I remember your dad saying 30 years ago that he, he wouldn't see Australia becoming a, a you know, republic in his lifetime and he didn't support that. I've always supported it, but I don't think I'm going to see it in my lifetime. No. Actually. Probably There's a lot not. of support for the young royals here. Yeah. Like for, do you mean Harry and Kate? I mean, and for William his and brother. Kate? Yeah. 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 And yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. Like, they seem nice enough. And yeah, they seem like decent enough people. Maybe it's because their mum was, was Princess Diana and she, she was so likeable and she had such a tragic ending. I wonder if people still have such fond memories for her and think, you know, her kids deserve so much better. Or, yes, know. and she's certainly in The Crown. And I love watching that historical drama, The, the, the Crown, and... It was certainly, and I remember that I lived through that. Her popularity when she came out to Australia was, was, was massive. Um, she certainly did probably convert lots of people who might have gone the other way. <laughs> yeah. To supporting the monarchy. But not you. She didn't convert you. No, she didn't convert me. No, no. Because even if I might like her as a person, I still think the institution is ridiculous. So yes. I don't support the institution at all. Not at all. Um, Apparently, the crown's a big deal in the U.S. The TV People show. People love the show, yeah. 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 It's good drama. It, it's really well done. So. Mm. But there is an obsession, though, I think, with the monarchy. I don't know what that's really all about. I think the Americans always have wanted to have their... I reckon they've always... They would have loved to have had a monarchy. 
you know, if it wasn't like the British monarchy, but someone, you know, there used to be the Kennedys and, you know, there was yeah, the Rothschilds true. and there were all these other people out there that they used to hold up as some sort of, you know, greater power almost. And that's where the celebrities born. Yeah, 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 it's yourself. almost like this. But yeah. isn't, that, isn't that kind of antithetical to the way in which they, they were, were founded? founded yeah. Democracy? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they ran away from the monarchy. Yeah, they ran away from the monarchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and it seems, it seems antithetical to me to then elevate other families. Yeah, I don't know if they're looking for an authoritarian leader, even though you could say Trump was pretty close. Mm. But... Um, you know, I think they want someone to revere. They want to, you know, think of this person as being exceptional for whatever reason. But well, it's really interesting. But it's interesting, the exceptional people they pull down, so they do the tall poppy syndrome, you know, the Bill Gates of this world and other people, they tend to... Mm. Tall poppy syndrome is a very Australian thing, isn't it? That's what I thought. But yeah, I, don't I thought it was, but I don't know if it is. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Because if it's limited to here, do you mean? Yeah, I don't know, because we've got, uh, I'm not, I don't actually really understand where we sit when it comes to the way we view celebrity or view government. I mean, we've got, we've got ScoMo, who I personally would love to see gone, but who would replace them? Uh, that's a... That's a, so that's they're all the kind of the same. Yeah, and I don't think that in my mind, wanting him to leave government and no longer be prime minister is part of the tall poppy syndrome. Mm. I don't see him as a tall poppy. No. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I think, he's, I think he's risen above his level of... Of poppiness. Comp <laughs> yeah. So I think it's really The Peter Principle is yeah, driven to his level really of incompetence. So that's not my... That's not my desire is to pull him down for that reason. My desire is that I don't think he manages the country in a way that I want it managed. Yeah. So that's probably more to do with it. But you're right, who to replace him with. Yeah, we don't tend to have all that many dynamic politicians, do we? I would suggest. But we do... But Half we do want to pull Bizet, them... Penny Wong. Yeah, but we do Christine want to pull Keneally. them down. Like we, want to, we don't want to revere them. You know, like politicians are up there with used car salesmen, seriously. Well, I think, and I think that's fair enough. I certainly do. I don't want to revere anybody. I think it's really positive. It's a really good thing to have good role models and examples of people that you might want to emulate in some way. But reverence? Why would we do that? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Who do you, who do you not revere? Well, who do you look up to? As a role model? Yeah. Like who do you see as important to model some aspects of their life in your own well, I wouldn't apart say from D&I so we don't want to <laughs> make it too clear. well I, I was going to say I wouldn't say it would be anyone I don't know it would be people around me ah, right, so aspects right. of everyone I know I, the, the things that they do I find inspiring I, I don't think I would ever I actually got asked this in an interview once uh, they said who, who is um, a journalist that you aspire to be like I couldn't answer because I was like, well, I don't know. I've, I haven't met them. I don't really know. There could be a whole team of people behind them. But the people close to me, I do know. Mm. And I know their accomplishments and I know how they got there. So I have many role models around me, um, which I don't know, might not be the exciting answer, but it well, is my no, answer. I guess, I guess that's you? fair enough. Have you f mm. had people that you've wanted to emulate? Yeah, you, you did. <laughs> 
making fun now. No, I believe no, that. No. I believe that. <laughs> I wrote something about you that I gave to you yesterday, yeah, I remember. Which was, that which made everybody cry. Yeah, it was so yeah, beautiful. Yeah. So, But that's how I think. Uh, yeah, I agree with you, Sam. Yeah. I think it's people that I know. Um, you know, like, uh, like the guy, Avery, that runs the Child Protection Party stuff. You know, I admire him greatly for his ingenuity and his dedication and does it all for free. And So there are people like that that I yeah. think are exceptional individuals. And I think the sad thing is that they don't... The, the, I don't, I don't know, I use the word ordinary, I don't know what other word to use, but the, those people don't tend to get recognised mm. for the work. They don't get acknowledged either, you know. Um, would I admire people like Grace Tame? Yeah, I think what she's gone through are there lots of people within the child protection system and foster care and that sort of stuff that I would I admire there there are lots of clients I admire yeah because I know that the challenges that they've had in their lives that they've been able to overcome them lots of those people I admire what about you, Dee? You got some books or some 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 authors or something like that? Yeah, there's so often lots of writers and people that I yeah get encouraged by. I think by their stories. I think that's the word I'd use. I, f- I feel encouraged by their stories. Um, I remember feeling really encouraged by um, a bloke by the name of Bernard Smith, who'd been in foster care as a kid his whole life, and I found out much uh, much. After, long after he had retired, that he had been an academic, mm. and I found that as a you know starting out academic very encouraging because it was somebody like me, mm. so that was very encouraging. I know that he had his flaws, <laughs> so I, I don't revere anybody. I, no. I kind of no, yeah long since stopped because that's an interesting point. Because I reckon if we revere them and then we notice they've got flaws. It's a long way Tarnish to fall, it. isn't it? It's a long yeah. way to fall, yeah. But I can, I can certainly feel encouraged by his story. Mm. And there are other people um, who I feel encouraged. Like Oprah Winfrey, for example, who was in kinship care and sexually abused and had, had lots of difficulties which she then had to work through and overcome. And, mm. um, so, yeah, I admire people... F- um, I admire that far more than I do privileged people who've never had yeah. to, where everything's been dished out, which doesn't mean to say they haven't had trauma and loss and grief. They do, um, but it's, I always wonder where, how it's cushioned by privilege and money and resources that other people haven't, haven't had. So blows are cushioned a little bit, perhaps. But. Mm. Yeah, Oprah, I often forget about, like I, I used to watch a lot of Oprah Winfrey, but... Um, yeah, I often forget about how she started out in life, which is a shame <laughs> to forget that. But Yeah, because you only again. see her the way she is, yeah, not the way not she the was. Because she, she started out as a journalist as well, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and as you're saying, she had a terrible upbringing. And yeah, really uh, tough. It was, it was really difficult. I think she would live with her grandmother for a number of years on a farm and I think I think I read that she decided she wasn't going to live that life mm. that was a tough life and she was not going to have that mm. yeah see they're people worth admiring even though I they're well known so. people but you, you can admire them her, but, I admire but you can admire her, her for her past yeah, and her totally. overcoming stuff That's, yeah, yeah exactly. you can see them as inspiration almost absolutely yeah. Yeah. and, I, and I th- for me that is also I think part of the Australian psyche is to admire the battlers yeah, yeah, it's so true. <laughs> <laughs> More so than those of, of considerable privilege. Do you think we recognise them enough, though? The battlers, those, 
Or do we acknowledge them? You know, <coughs> well, we tend to acknowledge people that have done exceptional things, but I don't think we tend to acknowledge those people that have also done exceptional things, but aren't in the forefront. You know, they're not they're not doing necessarily public service or some description, but I yeah, we do like. Do you mean like we tend to talk about battlers who are like sports people yeah. or stuff like not necessarily Adam Good, yeah. People like yep. that, you know, indigenous people perhaps that have made it, which they need credit for that, I agree. Mm. Um, but there's lots of other people that do amazing things, I think. You know, like the, the woman that works, a woman that works, for example, um, at a um, an op shop, you know, or um, someone that works, well, I know someone that works as a volunteer in a DV service. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. she spends heaps of hours doing that. Um, where's their where's their so there's no public recognition for them I think uh, people like Adam <coughs> Goods are amazing role models because they will inspire Who's young that? people Adam Goods oh yeah they're, they're, I think they are um, amazing yeah amazing to think about because they let other young people know that they can do they can do that it's mm. kind of that if you can't see it you can't be it sort of thing so I th- so and they're in the spotlight aren't they I wouldn't take yeah. away from from that oh no not at all but I also agree with you that there are lots of people just plodding away doing lots of work for their community who don't get that public recognition maybe they don't want it but or financial recognition either yeah mm. you know when they should mm. so do you want to talk about Christian Porter now oh Christian Porter <laughs> <laughs> Where is that story at? So I think where that story is at is people still pushing for... I think I did see a, an online um, petition for there to be a public inquiry. It's, there's still lots of analysis from people arguing why shouldn't there be, and I, I totally agree with that. There should be some sort of inquiry. My thoughts... I think we talked about that before, Tony, that they keep on talking about this rule of law. Somebody mentioned that really the rule of law applies, applies in a courtroom. Mm. and that it's the judge and the jury who are supposed to be neutral. But as you pointed out, when we were talking about it, the DPP, the, the you know Department of Prosecution, they think that the person's guilty. <laughs> oh. Because they're, they're put together a case yeah, to demonstrate true. that the person is guilty. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what is that whole presumption of innocence thing? Yeah. Yeah. And do I have to presume that he's innocent? I don't think I've made taken a position, really. You have. You you presume he's innocent? No, I important. presume he's guilty. Oh, okay. I was like, Tony, what? <laughs> no, no. He's, he's, I, th- I believe he's as guilty as sin. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah. that's primarily because we have some history around his behaviour early in his life. And also I have this thing about... Um, and I went to a... I went to a private school, so you know I was I was privileged, I guess, in that sense. I was, so I accept that. I'm aware of that. But um, but he was he was privileged as well. But he was privileged in other ways because you know obviously he was far more intelligent than I am because he was able to achieve what he's achieved and go to law and stuff. Um, but it was almost like he was he was entitled. So it's this sense of entitlement that really gets to me. Mm that I believe, he believes that he was entitled to almost everything, including what he could get from women. Yeah. Well, the story goes that his dad just assumed that he was going to be a prime minister, so he was he was already being um, shaped and groomed. Yeah, that's an interesting word to use. 
um, groom, groom for that. Um, I, I, when I think about his performance, I think that was genuine distress that he was feeling. I didn't think that was a... Yeah, when he cried. When he but sometimes cried. people are distressed when they're caught out. When they're guilty. When they're guilty. Yes, well, exactly. I also, I also wondered if it was distress because he realised he was never going to achieve. That is the end of his Part political of it. career. Ah. So it could be a real sense of grief. For himself. For himself. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, for himself. Jane Caro made a good point because there was a lot of discussion, um, unwarranted discussion and victim-blaming discussion online last week about false memories. Um, okay. That, and um, there was lots of pushback against that, particularly from therapists, you know, therapists who work ah, in this field who say... Me being one of those therapists. You know, never come across it at yep. all. Um, never. And Jane Carroll made the point, we always think it's the victim with the false memory. Maybe it's the perpetrator with the false memory. And Maybe I think the, the perpetrator is lying to Maybe themselves. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. exactly. Or doesn't really get it. Mm. Doesn't get that their behaviour was violating another person. They just might not get it. So what, with this false memory stuff, I think I understand what that is. But do you mind telling me a bit more about it and... and what people well, are. false memories can be so. I, as a therapist, so this is where false memories came from. So I, as a therapist, would ask questions, and I'd ask them in a certain way that would almost implant an idea about sex abuse. So you could say, and when, so and when he touched you, such and such, mm -hmm. you could explain where he touched you. So you're making these assumptions that these things actually happened. Right. And the other person then thinks, oh, well, you're the person of authority. Therefore, maybe this did happen f happen to me. So they start. So they might have started off thinking they didn't know. They were either too young or whatever, which is normally the case. So false memories are normally around kids that are really young who are abused. Mm -hmm. right? In this particular case, we're talking about a 16-year-old who was abused. A 16-year-old would not have false memories to start with. And also, the idea around false memories has proved to be a myth. Yeah. Um, it was a thing some time ago when they were looking at um, the McMartin stuff in the US and a lot of other sexual assaults and you know cult cultish it type was, things. Yeah, it was kind of the beginning of when we started talking about uh, as a wide community about child sexual abuse. So yep. the 1980s is 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 the beginning of that. And then there was kind of what you might call hysteria, I suppose, in some communities where they thought it was happening everywhere and um, and. And the other two is fear was encouraged, I guess, and so people, young people, were talking about it, but it actually wasn't. So when it combats they tested it. It wasn't there at all. Yeah, but it combats the knowledge that children don't lie. So instead of saying children don't lie, we can say, oh, these memories were false memories. They were implanted memories. They were uh, conjured memories. Um, so. So instead of saying the child is lying, you don't have to say that anymore. You can just say that the memories were made up from somewhere else. They were implanted by somebody else, I guess. And uh, it's wrong. Kids generally do not lie. Yeah. Um, but the in this particular case, of course, because it was a much older person, to say that this woman had conjured up these memories is highly Ill unlikely. Right? And the fact that years later she was able to talk, you know, I have... I have people I work with who can talk about, you know, instances of abuse that go way back for them. I would never have thought that they're conjuring up those memories, though. No. Never. Wouldn't Why even would occur you to think me. That? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, the fact that this woman was... So then there comes this other issue, which is about her mental well-being. We don't know what her mental well-being was. She was suicidal, obviously, and yes, she was extremely do. distressed. We, we do now through the Four Corners program. What do we know? We know that she was diagnosed with bipolar, that she'd made several um, suicide attempts and that she'd been in mental... Well, we know all of that. So we know that. Yes, but I don't think we know the nature. No, we don't know the nature of those. We don't know the cause of that, but it's possible the cause was that sexual assault. Yes. Mm, See, that's the point. We don't know, though. We don't know. Yeah. No, but it is possible. Yeah, and, you know, psychiatrists diagnose people with freaking everything, you know. So... So who knows what that means? Because we don't know the extent of it. We don't know. You know, it must have. Been, it would have been extremely distressing for her because of the final decision that she made. Obviously, life was not a happy place for her to live in, so she chose to end it. Um, but uh, was he the cause of it? Well, it seems. It seems. You know, we will never know for sure we'll know. that that possibly he was, or at least a contribution. And he needs to be held accountable. For the fact that he may have contributed to this woman's death, and and you know this is you know like abuse is the trauma that people create through by abusing other people. Um, you know, it's not just sexual abuse; it's domestic violence. You know, it's in other areas as well. Um, and people need to be held accountable for the impact that that has on people. You know, if you physically assault someone, you know, you've got the bruises and you've got the evidence that that's what's happened. But there's other insidious stuff you don't know. Mm. So I, I, well, from what we understand about the woman he assaulted, uh, he needs to be held accountable for that. Yeah. Mm. Do we have to say allegedly so he doesn't sue us? Is that the thing? Allegedly. <laughs> we usually do. <laughs> but, but I guess if you're expressing an opinion, can be can yeah. you be sued for expressing an opinion? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. Go back to my media law textbook. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because yeah, then last I heard, uh, they weren't going to scomo, scamo as my mum likes to call him, um, is it wasn't endorsing an inquiry into Christian Porter, but... Surely that'll change. Yeah, that's the last that I've heard too. Is that he's not he's not going to? I think he popped up yesterday saying that his that Christian Paul is not going to be in, at work next week. And then there's a lot of outcry about that because can you and I just decide we're not going to go back into work and not give any dates for when we are going back to work and just take that sick leave? Oh, they're a power unto themselves, know. aren't they? These freaking politicians. They, <laughs> they seem to be. So there's a lot of outcry. But also, apart from that. all of this, though, it is raising increasing awareness around toxic workplaces though mm. you know the place that should technically those people that make the laws those people that are supposed to have the values and principles that keep us all in check those people are flagrantly um abusing <laughs> the people around them yeah and i think this this is the matter that also needs to be addressed and the and the the news that came out about Brittany Higgins and that assaulter, how he went on to assault other women, and he's a government staffer, and apparently no one, none of the politicians knew about it. I find hard to believe. Yes, they knew. Hard to believe. Well, and, and if they didn't know... It's kind of not how workplaces work, is <coughs> no. it? Everybody knows Everybody everything. knows everything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
if they did. But I, I, I guess, to his credit, you have to say that he's looking into that. Into he has set up an inquiry into the workplace culture by the. Why now? Yeah, he should have done it ages it ago. Should have been done. Yeah, he should have yeah. done it. This yeah. is the thing That's that really a, frustrates me. Yeah. Is that they, <coughs> why is it they have to wait until something becomes so public, and you're embarrassed about it that you then choose to fix it? And to me, it just screams that we, our government, doesn't care about women at all because it lets women within its own house within its own workplace party yeah get it lets them be in these dangerous situations and then tries to hush it under the rug and i how is that how can a government be a representation of community when it really doesn't care about a large part of the community it's a good it's a good point exactly but we keep voting them in yeah. as a country. But it's not only that, Sam. <laughs> That's very alarming. <laughs> it's, the, it's the women that also tend to go along with it. I mean, yeah. you, look at, you look at Reynolds. I'm not suggesting it's all women, so I'm not making that assumption. Neither is it all men, I would no, think. No, no, of course. But there are certain people, and the, the women are not. You know, Reynolds saying to somebody else that she thought, thought that Brittany Higgins was a lying cow. Mm. You know, to even have that thought about this woman because she was attacking a, an employee is is horrific. Why do you think that? Like, have these women become uh, so immersed in the culture, in this male culture, that they themselves are emulating it mm-hmm. as well? Yeah, I, well, I, I, I guess that you can't assume that because a woman is in power that they're feminist or have feminist ideals. Or exactly. I think there's internalized, yeah. internalized mm. misogyny. Absolutely. Ah, nice way of putting Everywhere. Yeah. Just, it, yeah, so even at that level, I, I remember going to a football game, it may have been with you and Casey. That's, I think that's the only time I've gone to an AFL game. And then behind us, um, I think one of the players dropped the ball or was trying to kick something and then behind us this woman screamed ah stop playing like a girl Mm. and i just looked at her i was like what (laughs) so i think it's at all levels well clearly she's never seen an aflw match yeah i think this was before before yeah 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 yeah. you wouldn't say that these days no god but yeah that's why i was i didn't see the 730 report with um with Bronwyn Bishop, but I was annoyed because in all the time that she was in Parliament, in Federal Parliament, I never saw any indication of her being feminist or supporting women at all. And then they trot her out to give her opinion about what's going on and whether there should have been an inquiry. And I go, why? Mm. (laughs) Why are you doing that? Why are you willing to speak on this? And why are you being asked? I don't don't think there should be, really. And one of the things, too, that I have admired about Biden is that he he came out with a statement. It'd be interesting to see whether he follows it through, but his first statement on day one was that if anybody abuses somebody else, puts somebody down, talks to someone in a negative way, they're going to be dismissed immediately. Oh, within his... You know, and I think as a leader, no matter who you are, whether you're a leader of a country or you're a leader of an organisation or whatever, well, not just a leader. Well, I guess leaders can be the only people who can make those decisions. But, you know, that's there should be more of that, you know? This is my expectation. You talk down to somebody, put somebody down, call them a name, you're out. Yeah. Yeah, set the standard. And set yeah, the standard. set the standard. Make it high, a high standard too. No ifs, no buts, you know. I think there's lots to be said about making sure that your workplace 
is one that fosters like happiness because we spend a lot of time. I spend more time with my manager and colleagues than I do at home with mm. people I've chosen to spend my life with, you know? Yep. And if I'm going to work every day and there's bullying or there's, you know, you're just put under so much pressure to perform, what am I doing with my life? Mm. I think, I think at least in my organization where I work, the they really push for a good culture, a good workplace culture, and I, I hope that's the the norm. That's what's going to trend, because otherwise, what are we doing? Why are we there? Yeah, so I agree. I agree that it should be. So who's? No, it's individualized. Um, is what I think. So that if you've got a problem with the bullying or whatever, you get sent off to get counselling rather than the workplace culture mm. being addressed, which is unfortunate. Interesting. And when I was working with uh, EAP services, um, and we were getting people from a whole range of organisations, one of the issue, biggest issues we ever dealt with was workplace bullying. Without a doubt, it was like it was endemic. Isn't that bizarre that adults bully? I just think it's well, bizarre. Isn't it, it's, it's not bizarre that adults are childish and <laughs> you know, <laughs> haven't grown what, up. What's interesting to me is the change over time. Because at one place, what we now call workplace bullying was just normal and you didn't yeah. call it anything. Uh, you just called it having a hard day at work. Or right. Yeah, that's true. Or perhaps you get a new job. You, there was no name for it. Mm. Um, so at least we now have a name for it and we can call it out. And various governments around the country specify exactly what that means. And same with Fair, Fair Work Commission. So there is guidelines around what is acceptable and unacceptable. That's fairly in my life. That's fairly recent. Mm. Really? Yeah, and no, I. That you know. would have just been a good. Somebody who's just stood and yelled at you would have just been seen as a strict boss. Not somebody yeah. who was a And no one. You know, when I was being bullied at Anchor Care, I. And I'm not deleting that either. But when I was, bull when I was bullied at Anchor Care, it was like no one was there to support you. Really? No one. HR. Well, HR used to put me in on a regular basis, <laughs> didn't they? To whip me about something that I've done. Um, but. <laughs> there was no one that sort of said, "Well, what is this like for you?" Oh, you know, like how did yeah. how do you feel about all of this? You know, so I'm extremely distressed by the experience. No one seemed to care. So you know, what where's this where's this caring about the way the workplace is impacting individuals? Which you would expect from uh, from Anglicare, which is or supposed to be, mm. be Christian and have Christian values. That's a whole other thing. That's a whole other yeah. thing. Yeah, that's, a, that's Christian another podcast. Values <laughs> are quite diverse, I've discovered, yeah. from being really quite draconian and horrible <laughs> to generous and kind. Yeah. <laughs> and everything else in between. Maybe it comes down to the individual's oh, values yeah, rather yeah. than a whole uh, But I think groups. it comes back to what we were talking about before, setting that standard, though and making sure that people understand what that standard is. But then you get to Can another point. Can I just point. say something about that Anglicare story, as I recall it, mm. was that one of the senior staff members who was a, a principal bullying in the way, a bully in the way that he treated you had been a mental health nurse. What? And that was very alarming to think that he would have taken that sort of behaviour. Oh, yes, I'd forgotten about that. From one environment to another. He was the you know, HR manager you were talking about. Was he the HR manager? Yeah. Anyway, that yeah. was his background was as a mental health nurse and you just go Whoa. actually it's really interesting about him I always felt thought that he was caught between um, the ocean and whatever that saying is who knows um, but uh, that I always saw him as a really decent human being 
but didn't know how to deal with the situation that was presented to him. So there are other people feeding information to him oh. and he didn't have the ability to inquire as to whether or not they perhaps were at fault. Right. You know, and I think that's the other problem too. So the issue for me is then that if I think that someone's bullying me, right, is my word about the bullying and how I experience that uh, legitimate? Or if the other person says, no, I'm not bullying them, I'm, you know, I don't say those sorts of things and whatever then where do we get to that point whereby we can say, okay, I'm believing you and not you, right? And, mm. you know, you you need to leave this organisation because, you know, you're the one doing the bullying. Because normally it's the victim <laughs> that is told that they should leave the organisation or they should move on to another place. Which well, doesn't that go we don't deal with the bully. Some people have more credibility than others in the community, so men have more credibility than women. Somebody in a position of power has more credibility yeah, absolutely. than a person who doesn't absolutely. have credibility. So how do we get to that point, yeah. though, where we can actually believe the person who's the victim? Because we do not tend to believe victims, generally. We believe the person that appears to be more powerful. Mm. Is that? Do you think that partly stems from innocence until... You're, you're innocent until proven guilty, like in that situation where a victim is saying, this person did something to me. We assume we have to think the prosecutor is innocent until we can prove that they're not. Do you think that's partly where it comes from? I think it's about power. About power. Yeah, totally, and totally I think... Power. And social order. The social order and therefore the ranking I think it's a skill-based... I think it's a skill-based thing too, that if, if you're skilled enough at... Um, at interviewing and asking appropriate questions, you know, you know that when you're speaking to someone that they're legitimate, mm. you know, and you also know whether someone's lying or distorting the truth, mm. you know, and if someone is breaking down in tears and crying, then clearly there's an issue for them about the way they're being treated, mm. and that Are you should. Talking about Christian Porter. I'm to, no, I'm talking about anybody. And that's okay. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> yeah, but we can go back to Christian Porter. Um, yeah, but that was the reason about why he was emotional. But yeah, yeah I think there's a way himself. by which we can identify with when we're having conversations with people the degree to which they're distressed mm. and take that on board and look for ways to resolve it. Does that make sense? It does, except that I've got Christian Porter in my mind <laughs> who was clearly distressed. It seemed very genuine. I don't have a problem so with the fact he was distressed. clearly had an issue with the way that he was being treated. I just don't care. Yeah. That, I just don't care that he was distressed. <laughs> So does it come down to how much we like an individual <laughs> as well, whether or not we believe them? Yeah. That's yeah, a good question. And do we think that they have to, you know, people have to be strong? You know, so we see that as a valuable quality, mm. you know? You should be able to ride through it. You yeah. Know, you shouldn't allow it to affect you the way that it does. Yeah, I, I guess I, I grew up with... Both my parents are fairly empathetic and compassionate people, so I was never told to like toughen up or whatever. Um, so I was at in the airport yesterday on my way here. There was a, a dad and like a couple of his sons, and the mum was trying to help one of, I think he would have only been 12, trying to help him. And the dad was like, oh, don't molly, is it molly coddle? Don't molly coddle him. And I was just like, where, what? time am I in? <laughs> <laughs> what time zone? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was very much mm. my growing up was, yeah, be tough, don't cry. Yeah. You know, okay. and in, a, in a sort of false, I don't think it really is stoicism, but it is a false, it's described as being stoic, being stoic about this, don't show your feelings. Mm. 
Yeah, it's very, very interesting. Much. I so think that's changed a lot. Yeah. I think. I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think that if we're more kind and empathetic and more compassionate, that's a very good thing. Mm. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that people aren't strong or no, resilient exactly. or anything. Really. No, not at all. Not at all. But I think we need to learn to find ways to be more... I mean, that's one of my things, is trying to help people to understand what their emotions, what their emotions are. And I think there needs to be a, a greater drive to help people to understand how they're feeling about certain things and, as you say, to empathise with them. Mm. Yeah. That's healing in itself, isn't it? I mean, lots of people say, no one's really understood what that's been like for me. You're the first person to, to do that. Oh. You know, it makes a difference. Yeah. yeah, when people feel heard, it helps. Yeah, absolutely, so absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and if you if you and if you are stuffing down stuffing down all your feelings, then you are quite likely, not inevitably, but you may start passing on some of that behaviour mm. to other people if you've not recognised what it's felt like to you, mm. Mm. either to you, yeah, either to other people or to yourself. Continue that sort of behaviour. Well, as we conclude this podcast. Any final words to our thousands of people that will be listening to this later on, Sam? Is anything, any words of wisdom you'd like to give them as a result of this conversation? I don't know about wisdom, but I will say Dee and Tony are as amazing in real life as they are in the podcast. So they're not, they are genuine people. I'm putting that at the beginning of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Sam, that's lovely. Thank you. And it's just lovely to have you in town. Yeah. I don't know if we explained who I am in relation to you guys, but... uh, well, your family. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, okay. Isn't that enough? Or <laughs> That's enough. Do you want further explanation as to... I'm your third cousin's grandmother's aunt. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Our son's beloved fiancé. Yeah, he's yeah. lovely. He is. He's very fortunate too, to have us as parents. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not to have you as a partner. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Okay, thanks guys. Cool. <laughs>